it's me, your host, Zoe. Welcome back to Motherkind, the show that is here to support you in motherhood. I have only ever had one goal with this show, and that is to help you have a happier, calmer, more joy-filled motherhood. That was my mission when I started six years ago, and it is still my mission today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked into your house, seen all the mess, seen all the jobs that you can't quite get to and thought to yourself, I'm failing? Then this is the episode for you. It is going to totally change how you feel about that. Today's guest is therapist and best-selling author of How to Keep House While Drowning, K.C. Davies. If like me, you've ever thought to yourself, what is wrong with me that I can never stay on top of the laundry, the food shopping, the meal planning, the sorting out the kids' clothes, and just the hundreds of little things that go into running a family and a home, then this episode is going to help you feel totally differently about all those little things. They're not that little at all. And they're going to help you completely reframe how you talk to yourself about being able to keep on top of all those jobs. We all need Casey's wisdom, warmth, and humor in our lives. I think this is one of those episodes that is going to be life-changing, and I don't say that lightly. I hope you love it. If you did, please do share it. Let's spread this compassionate wisdom far and wide. Here it is. This episode is sponsored by Coru Kids. After-school childcare can be so tricky, can't it? It's hard to find and usually means long days for little ones at school. Well, Coro Kids is changing that with flexible part-time nannies that can work just the hours you need. Their nannies are from a variety of backgrounds, students, artists and writers, but they all have one thing in common, which is a passion for working with children. Coru Kids take care of the vetting, references and employment checks. In fact, less than 5% of applicants actually go on to join the platform. And these nannies aren't fuddy-duddy, Mary Poppin types. They are the perfect solution to your busy family life. They let tired kids come home, eat a home-cooked meal, get homework done and enjoy activities and fun, bringing joy to their afternoons and calm to your evenings. We all need a bit of that, don't we? For a limited time, our listeners can trial a nanny for free. Yes, free. Worth over £50. Just head to corukids.co.uk. That's K-O-R-U kids.co.uk and use the code MOTHERKIND when you sign up to get your free three-hour trial. Casey, welcome to MotherKind. I don't think this episode and this chat could come at a better time for me. I feel like the theme tuned to my week has been, why can't I stay on top of the washing and what is wrong with me? And so I just can't wait to get all of your compassion into my brain. (laughs) I really need it. Why are we so hard on ourselves when we see piles of unfolded laundry? That's the thing for me. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never, well, maybe not never, When I talk to men that are struggling with care tasks, their struggle is very much connected to, I don't have clean clothes. I don't feel good. Look at all this mess. And there's there's this like extra layer for the women that I talk to where it's not just, oh, I'm frustrated because I don't have clean clothes. And oh, I'm going through a hard time and that's really difficult. And oh, I'm a little overwhelmed. It's like, 
I am a big fat failure at life. Not because of like whatever the struggle is, right? It's not like because I'm depressed. It's like because I can't do the laundry. And I just think there's this extra layer of societal prescription around gender where we still have this idea, and I think motherhood specifically, that like being a good mother is entwined with like keeping a house in a certain way. Where does that come from? I mean, I'm sure it has its roots in the fact that for a millennia, women's jobs were produce babies and cook and clean. And so like any job, I mean, we feel like if we do our job well, then we're worthwhile. And if we don't do our job well, then we're not worthwhile. Fast forward to today's mothers and most of us, we work or we have other things going on in our lives. And yet we're still expected to be on top of every single care task, which is sort of interesting to me because it's not that like, I don't know, when I think back to like the perfect 50s housewife, most of them had hired help. Most of them were like exploiting women of color to do care tasks for them. And I say that, and then there's always people that want to be like, well, my grandmother never did that. My grandmother had 10 kids and my grandmother, you know, we never had any help. We were really poor. And then I always go like, cool. Was she just rocking the gentle parenting? Was she real in tuned parent? Was she making sensory bins? No, because she had to do all the other stuff. And yet we have this pressure today of like, I not only need to keep house effortlessly as if there's hired help here, even though there's not, right? Like the laundry needs to be sorted and folded and the house needs to be tidy and the toys need to be organized and the dinners need to be home cooked and everything needs to be, you know, done up. And I'm supposed to be making sensory bins and not letting my kids watch TV and picking only wooden toys and doing all these things. And it's too much. Nobody can do all of that. Like, I promise you, nobody is doing all of that. It's actually insane, isn't it? It is insane. I talk about this as like the insanity of modern motherhood. And that's why we get statistics like, you know, 93% of mothers are feeling burnt out. Well, of course, of course, that is the pressure and the expectation Yeah. I mean, I think about my grandmothers. One of my grandmothers had two kids and she very much was that grandmother who, oh, I've got my career and I've got my kids and the house looks nice. And she had hired help always. And then I think of my other grandmother who didn't have hired help, was really too poor for hired help. And you know what she did? When you turned two years old, you went outside and you did not come back inside until the streetlights went on. And she had four children right? Like that's what she had to do in order to cook and clean and keep the, it's like, you gotta put the kids outside. And so it's like this insanity of, you know, modern day motherhood being on top of everything in the house and being this like really in tuned mother entertaining their babies all day. It's a work of fiction. It is. And there's an incredible study that when you think about it, it makes complete sense. It's actually the hours that most mothers are working are equivalent to two and a half full-time jobs. Start at 6.23 a.m., finish at 8.30. And I know that I don't start at 6.23 and I don't end at 8.30. So I think a lot of people are doing more than that. 
It's insane. It is insane. Something that I just love about your work and what really got me hooked into it was that you say care tasks are not a moral issue. And I think that really talks to what I was saying, but I feel like a shit person because I can't get the socks paired up right. (laughs) Tell us about that. And how did you get to that insight? So, I mean, I had my second baby, like right as the pandemic started, everything locked down, all of the plans I had for this like really supported postpartum period, like were just kind of blown out of the water because all of a sudden you couldn't access anything. And my husband had just become a lawyer. And so he was working a lot and I couldn't go anywhere. And like, I'm a person that I've learned that like my mental health is really affected by isolation and it's really affected by the lack of projects, if that makes sense. I really need my little projects, even if they're kid related, right? Like, oh, let's organize the toys today or let's do this today. And when you have a newborn, you can't do any of that. And my other one was not yet two. And I just quickly became really depressed. And I didn't realize that I was depressed, which is sort of ironic because I'm a therapist because I wasn't sad. Like I didn't even feel like bad about myself necessarily. I did have this feeling of like, how is anyone doing this? How is anyone taking care of two kids at the same time? I was mostly just numb. It was like I was emotionally flatlined. There was nothing that I was looking forward to. I was like laying in bed at night and thinking about the next day was like looking down the barrel of a shotgun. I mean, it was just like, again, I should do this again. Like there's nothing that I looked forward to. And I think it's interesting. Like we take for granted the amount of things in the day you look forward to. So I'm not talking about like, oh, I have a fun night planned for Saturday night. I'm talking about the smallest things in the world that you look forward to where you, you're sitting at work and all of a sudden you go, oh, it's almost lunch. And you go, oh, lunch. And you go like, oh, it's almost five. I'm almost out of lunch. Oh, there's a show I want to watch tonight. Like nothing, none of that. It was just slog. And I, as one does in those periods of struggle, like the dishes were piled high and the laundry for eight months, I didn't fold any laundry. I would wash it and dry it. And then it would end up on the floor of my laundry room. And we would just step over it every day. And I would like comb through it every day for clothes for everyone. You know, I wake up in the morning and the kids would need bottles and I'd have to go find the bottles from underneath whatever chair they were under. And then feel like a crappy mom as I like, got the curdled milk out of it and washed it as they were like crying at my feet. It was just so stressful. And the layout of my house at the time, like all of the like equipment that you need for babies was like taking up all of the space and I would get trapped. It was hard to breastfeed my baby. And so like if I got her in the position where she was latched, I mean, you couldn't move a muscle, but I had like a 21 month old. And so she would just run amok through the house, picking things up and turning them over and dumping them out. And it was like, I can't even, like, I remember one time sitting there and I was breastfeeding and I'd clipped her into her little high chair to eat. She had a high chair that actually sat on the ground and she was eating and I just got them breastfed. And then she decided all of a sudden, like, I'm done eating, but she was like trapped in the high chair. And so she starts screaming and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, what do I do? This is such a lose-lose situation. Like if I unlatch the baby, she's not going to latch again. If I leave my toddler screaming there, we're all going to drive off a cliff. Like this is so miserable. It's those little moments that I think just don't get talked about enough, truly, because that's such a hijack to our nervous system and what that can do to us. 
you know, hour after hour, like, which one do I go to first? Which one do I stop screaming for? And then we have all these messages about, well, don't forget to do self-care. Yeah. And self-care is always just like things that involve extra time and money and energy. And it just becomes like more things on the to-do list that you're not getting to that you feel guilty about. So true. And I mean, I started posting TikTok videos about, you know, how hard it was and cleaning. And I would kind of like do kind of a humorous spin on it. And there were definitely some comments that were pretty hurtful about calling me lazy and things for the house being messy. But more than that were the people that were like, God, I relate to this. I feel like I'm failing. I feel like I'm failing. And it's one of those things where like, it's hard when it's you. But then when you see someone else say that, it's like so clear to you that they're not. It's so clear to you that it's like, no, like you have a lot going on and this is an impossible situation. And so as I started responding to those kinds of comments of people saying like, my house looks like this and I feel so much shame. They'd be like, no, like mess is morally neutral. It doesn't make you a good or bad person or a failure or a success. You can't tell what someone is going through by what their home looks like. For every person that's depressed and their house is really, really messy, there's somebody that's like living their best life and it's just too busy to deal with it. You know what I mean? And, and I think the flip side is true too. For every like perfectly neat and tidy home, for every person that has that, that's like living their best life because everything's just easy for them, there's someone whose home looks immaculate that's like living in constant anxiety and perfectionism and is miserable. I mean, I feel like pop psychology loves to pretend like there's this direct link, like tidy home, tidy mind. And that's just not true. You can struggle in so many ways and you're not going to know what's going on with somebody by looking at how messy their home is. It's so true. But do you know what? I really want to talk to you about this because so many of the mothers in our community say that. I can't relax until the toys are away. It's just how I am. When things are put away and tidy, that's what I need to have a tidy mind. People say that, don't they? We made that really strong link between our environment. And to some extent, that's probably true of me. Like I find it hard when I walk into our, we've got a little room, we put the toys in and it's like, sometimes I can't even see the carpet and it really stresses me out. So whenever people say that, I always want to get curious with them because there's different things that can be driving that feeling. And I always say like, there's a really big difference between that being a functional issue and that being a moral issue. And what I mean by that is that there's certainly like a level of mess or disorganization that's not functional anymore. So I'm stressed about my laundry because I don't have clean clothes. Or I'm stressed about my dishes because I don't have clean dishes to eat off of, or I'm getting mold, or I'm getting maggots, or I'm getting right. Like I'm stressed about my kids, the stuff everywhere because I'm tripping and I can't find anything, and the kids aren't playing well because they don't know where their things are. Like those are functional issues. And so, like, there's certainly this level of it's obviously hard to relax if your house isn't functioning, but. What I find is that a lot of people that say like, oh, I can't relax until it's all put away. It's not a functional issue or it's not just a functional issue. It's this narrative that we give ourselves of I'm not doing well. I'm not doing good. I'm not doing enough. So when the house is neat and tidy and put away, like, ah, see, I've got it together. I'm a good mom. Everything's in its place. I'm on top of it. I feel in control. And so it's like, 
what we tell ourselves when our house is clean and tidy is going to mirror and affect what we tell ourselves when it's messy. And so if it's clean and tidy and I'm going, see, I have it all together. I'm a good mom. I'm in control. Well, then if you have a day where somebody's sick or someone's out of town or things just kind of get messy, or maybe you had a great day, but then at the end, there's a bunch of mess. All of a sudden it's, well, okay, if, if clean and tidy means good and together, then what does this mean? And sometimes it's this issue of anxiety. Like I think that generalized anxiety disorder is massively underdiagnosed in mothers because our expression of that anxiety to clean, 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 never sit down, never sit down, never sit down is culturally acceptable. Well, it's rewarded. Yeah. I mean, everybody kind of knows that mom that never sits down and jokes that like, oh yeah, and my mom can't sit through a whole movie. She has to be doing something. She has to be folding laundry. Or, you know, oh yeah, that mom that pops up from the dinner table a thousand times and can't just relax and can't just sit down. And listen, sometimes that's just your personality, right? You're kind of a go, go, go person. But sometimes it truly is someone trying to cope with anxiety. And I always just want to say to that person, like, I always want to just like put my hands like on their face and just say, you deserve better than this. You deserve better coping tools than having to keep a perfect house. It's made me feel emotional because I think that's probably exactly what that person needs to hear. And nobody wants to intervene because it's like serving everybody. Well, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. An over-functioning mom is usually the status quo. And unfortunately, there's a lot of partners that don't want to disturb that status quo because it serves them. Yeah, it'd be very nice to have all your loads of laundry washed, folded, put away for you, meals cooked for you, a house kept tidy for you, children dropped off and picked up for you, wouldn't it? It would be very convenient. I say all the time, I need a wife. Yes. I always ask this question at the end, uh, which is the one gift you would give. And Amelia and Emily Nagoski, who wrote Burnout, you know that book, they're amazing. They said a wife, I would give every mother a wife. And I think it might be one of my favorite answers because I thought about what that would mean. I was just like, oh my gosh, that'd be incredible. My answer to that is like similar. And it's so hard to answer that question because you think, well, gosh, there's so many things that I wish I could give someone, right? You wish you could give mothers time. You wish you could give them support. You wish you could give them this, you could give that. And I finally came down to like, you know what I'd give them? I'd just give them money. Yes. Because you can... Buy time. Yeah. And listen, money can't replace all the good things in your life. Like it doesn't cure loneliness. It doesn't fix trauma or any of that. But the amount of things in my life as a mother that have gotten better over the last three years, that is 100% connected to the ability to have disposable income. It has to be talked about. And we don't like to talk about it as moms because we don't want to seem like we're bragging. We don't want to seem like we're talking about, oh, look how much money I have, how privileged I am. But I feel like it's really important to point out that moms always get this message that you can fix burnout with self-care and you can fix burnout with just letting go of perfectionism, like that it's some sort of internal job. When the truth is, if you took a burnt out mother and gave her enough money to afford some childcare and some grocery delivery and a housekeeper and the ability to go out for a night and have dinner with her friends, she wouldn't be burnt out anymore. It's true. But how does that intersect with what you were just saying around the internal drivers 
that mum that can't sit down. I, I may or may not be thinking about my own mother, the mum who, <laughs> who has some of those things at her disposal, but is still doing all those can't stop, won't stop behaviours. Well, and that's why I say it's not like it fixes everything. And I don't want to act like it does, but I do want to validate that mother that feels like they're failing and they think, well, I must be failing because I'm not good enough. And it is still very, very hard and sad to know that what's standing between you and functioning would be having more money. That's still very hard, but it's a different kind of grief than the grief of thinking that you're worthless and you're just screwing it up and it's your fault because you are just fundamentally bad at this. It's a different kind of grief. And if we're going to grieve, we should grieve over the right things, right? But you're right. It doesn't fix everything, right? Like you can have all the help in the world and still feel like everything has to be perfect. And so there is an internal aspect of this. And there's internal aspects that maybe can't fix all of the struggle of being a mom in today's society, but certainly can bring some relief. I imagine you've spoken to thousands of mothers at this point. What are some of the patterns with the home care? You know, I was talking about laundry at the start. Is that one of the big ones or is it things like being able to get themselves into the shower, being able to get their hair brushed and dressed and makeup done? Get my makeup done is something I struggle with actually. Really interesting. I really struggle with it. What are some of the things that you see it might be a pattern? So it's really all of it. I talk to a lot of mothers that talk about, you know, I'm so overwhelmed by what we call it like the daily grind. It's like it never ends. I don't like doing dishes, but I do it. But then it's like two hours later, there's more dishes. And like, is this my life? Like, it's the monotony. That for me is the real pain point of it. You know, it's never going to end. It's the monotony of it. It's the boredom of it. What I always say is like, you know, before I had kids, what I thought boredom was having nothing to do. And now I'm introduced to a new kind of boredom, which is I always have something to do and it's always boring. Like the tasks are boring. And so many of us had these like stimulating careers and we go from using our brains all the time to all of a sudden going, this is the most monotonous stuff in the world. And I didn't appreciate, like I got diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years ago and it really sort of busted open my understanding of my postpartum depression. The two times in my life that I experienced depression uh, or like a depressive episode was when I was married with two kids postpartum in my home in the States. And the other time was when I was single, working, living in Guatemala. And so it's like, how bizarre, like those things don't seem to have anything to do with each other, but what they had in common was isolation. I didn't have a lot of people around to talk to or to socialize with one because I didn't know the language, the other, because I couldn't leave the house. So there's this thread. I realized one of this under stimulation for me, right? And one I'm under stimulated because I have a lot to do and it's all really boring. And the other one, I had a specific job And it was very, very easy. And I would get done within a couple of hours. And then I wouldn't really know how to fill the rest of my day. And so I realized that that was really connected to my ADHD because my brain processes pleasure chemicals differently and creates pleasure chemicals differently. And when I am understimulated, I really, really struggle. And so I've talked to a lot of mothers who 
have ADHD or didn't realize that they were ADHD and they're really struggling with that understimulation and it leads to depression. And then I talk to mothers who are totally neurotypical, but they're like, I don't know how to feel like I have meaning or purpose. And I'm looking at these babies and I know this is meaningful and I know it's purposeful, but I'm also like getting peed on in the face, right? Like I'm not getting a lot of feedback about how meaningful this is. (laughs) It's so true. There's so many paradoxes in motherhood and of course in what you teach. And I think the one of them is that I've never been busier when I had little babies as in there's so much, it blew my mind how much there was to do. I was like, how have I filled a day and I have nothing productive? That was a completely new thing for me because when I was in the working world, I would have a really busy day, but I'd be able to go, here's my presentation. There was something to show for it at the end of the day. So much of it is just invisible. And I wonder, I have a little theory on this. It'd be so good to get your thoughts. But because so much of it is invisible, no one sees the hour that I spent soothing my toddler or the three hours up at night researching allergies that I think my five, it's all completely invisible. And I noticed in myself part of wanting to have my home put together was to make up for that invisibility with something visible to prove my worth. If you walk into my home, I remember, you know, my husband, before I educated him, would be like, whoa, what's happened here today? Like, what have you been doing type thing? Because it's invisible. Yeah. Because if you don't understand it, it looks like you didn't do anything that day. And There'd be days where you felt like you were kind of nailing it as like an engaged mom in terms of like you played with your kid and you weren't on your phone a lot and you made those sensory bins and you took them to music class and you went to the park and you made homemade food. And then you look around at the end of the day and the house is like falling apart. And then you have those days where you're like, I have to get a grip on this and you're trying to get things done and you're getting constantly interrupted by your kid or your kids. What I learned recently is that interruptions spike your cortisol. Really stressful. It's very stressful. It's incredibly stressful. So you're trying to get things done because like you said, you're trying so hard to just, I just want to feel like I'm not drowning and you're getting interrupted and you're getting overstimulated and you're snapping or you're being bothered or you're going, okay, the only way I can get this done is if I put the TV on. And then it's like, okay, so I can put the TV on, ignore my kid. I mean, not, you know, like not engage with my kid and get the house cleaned. And now at the end of the day, I feel guilty because the kid watched TV today and I didn't pay attention today and there were no sensory bins today. What's so interesting to me is that like I finally flipped that for myself and realized like no good moms are doing all the good things all the time. That is the art there's no science. Like that is the art of being a mom is here's this list of things that need to be done. They can't all be done at the same time. And so how can I learn to attend to the different things in a way that keeps everything at about 75% and realizing that like the days that you make sensory bins are the days that the house looks crazy. And the days that you take them to the zoo and have this like wonderful day of bonding are the days that you get like McDonald's on the way home because there's no more time or energy. And the days that you 
cook with your kids and you let them participate, the house looks like crap. And the days that you clean everything from top to bottom are the days the kid sits in front of the TV for eight hours. Like I'm just being honest about my life, right? And so stepping back and like flipping that script of it's not that I'm always failing at something. It's not that I can't ever do it all at the same time. It's that I am doing everything. That's what doing everything looks like. It's passing off because if I never cleaned the house, I would not be functional. If my kid always watched hours of TV every day, that wouldn't be good for them. If I took them out every single day and we ate McDonald's every day, that wouldn't be good for them. But if I'm not doing any of that every single day, that's what life is. It's just constantly juggling all of the competing priorities and trying to get a pattern that sort of like keeps everything good enough. Tell us about patterns and why that's important. So I think that one of the things I realized about what was difficult about housework for me is that boredom and understimulation. And for me, because I have ADHD, boredom and understimulation actually disrupt a lot of my executive functioning skills. That's the part of your brain that deals with focus and attention shifting and working memory and time management and task initiation and planning and emotional regulation and breaking things down into steps. So I would find myself like looking at the laundry and being like, I have to do that. I've really got to do that. I need to do that. And like just being frozen on the couch. Oh my God, I relate. And then you just like don't know what's wrong. And you're like, am I lazy? Am I irresponsible? Like what's going on here? And so I realized that like those tasks don't have any rhythm to them to me. They're just kind of like random and boring. And every step feels like I'm like making myself do each step. And when I think about the kinds of things that feel rewarding to my brain on like a very base level, it's like, you know, okay, if I'm crocheting, there's like this pattern, there's this rhythm of like loop, loop, pull through, loop, loop, pull through when I'm doing a puzzle, like any of those things. And so I realized that if I turned these care tasks into patterns, both in my approach to them and how I did them and also like how often I did them, it was much easier for me to do them. I didn't feel stuck as much. My brain actually felt that little reward of accomplishment when I was doing them. And so that was really helpful to me. So like when I pick up clutter, I'm no longer just like picking up a random item and trying to figure out where it goes. I'm going, okay, trash, all the trash, look for trash, find trash, throw it away. Look for trash, find trash, throw it away. And now dishes, like look for dishes, find dishes, put them in the sink. Look for dishes, find dishes, put them in the sink. You know, look for the laundry, look for laundry, get the laundry, put it. And so I sort of break things down into patterns like that. And then my last two categories are always like things that have a place and things that don't have a place. And so if I run through those categories really quickly and leave it like that. So I'm not picking up the trash and then tying it off and then carrying it to the bin. Like, no, I'm picking up the trash, putting the bag to side picking up the laundry, putting the laundry to the side, picking up the right. So I'm getting through it really quickly. I'm getting those little like rewards in my brain. And even with dishes, like if I have a sink full of dishes, loading that into my dishwasher or hand cleaning them was really overwhelming to me. And then I realized this like small change really helped, which is if I take the dishes out of the sink and organize them on the counter first, right? Like, so I take them out and I put the cups with the cups and the plates with the plates and the, and then all of a sudden, It's the same amount of dishes, but when my brain looks at them all jumbled together in the sink, I'm overwhelmed and I'm frozen and I don't know where to start and it looks like it's going to take a thousand years. But when I look at it organized by the side of the sink, well, that's not so many dishes. 
that's easy. And now I can load them piece by piece or I can watch them piece by piece. And that is really helpful. It's like this little brain hack to make things a little bit easier. Thanks to this week's sponsor, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every single day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted more energy and I was worried that I wasn't getting all the nutrients I needed from food. Every time I drink it, I am showing myself through my actions that I am worth taking care of. I deserve to look after my body, especially as it gave me my two incredible little girls. AG1 replaces your multivit, your probiotic, and it's all in one simple drinkable habit. It's really quick. It takes me a couple of minutes to mix up, tastes nice, and it keeps my energy high all the way through to bedtime, which is no mean feat. So we know how busy you are. And if you're looking for self-care that's quick and easy, try AG1 and you're going to get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com forward slash motherkind. That's drinkag1.com forward slash motherkind. I'm like the opposite with the dishwasher. My husband hates it. He actually restacks it every night into what you're talking about because I just throw it all in. I read somewhere, you know, I hate those things. One partner's one like this one, but there is this thing where it's like one partner literally lobs everything in a dishwasher. One partner has literally a tape measure out. That is my husband, whereas it doesn't bother me. You know what I find really hard is I will get up to go and put a load of laundry on. And as I'm walking there, I will see a load of toys all over the floor. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I need to put the toys up. And then I'll get into the laundry room and I will see the sports kit and I'll think, oh shit, it's probably sports today. And she's probably there without her PE kit, or I've got to get it all ready for tomorrow. And then I'll see some swimming goggles and think, when is swimming? When is swimming? Oh my God, when is swimming? And then I'm on my phone and I'm looking at when is swimming. And then Instagram's open and I'm looking at DMs. And then I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like half an hour's gone. You're singing the song of my people. Uh, Half an hour's (laughs) gone. And I haven't got any laundry on. And I feel like this is so normal for, I don't know if it's gendered, but as I walk around my home, all I see, all I see are jobs that I have to do that I haven't done yet. And all the choices are, do I stop what I'm doing and probably forget about it to do this thing that needs to be done? Or do I ignore this thing that I see that needs to be done and probably forget about it to do this thing I was on my way to do, right? That's it. If I don't check my phone about, is it swimming tomorrow? I'll forget. And then tomorrow that's going to be so stressful because it's going to be swimming tomorrow and the towel isn't dry or something. Yes. So when I was talking earlier about executive functioning, one of those things is working memory, which is the ability to hold multiple, like think about your browser. So you have your long-term memories, you have your short-term memories, but you also have what's called like this holding tank of memories. And it's like your browser tabs that are just holding up temporarily to you know what you're going to do with that information. Are you going to get rid of it? Are you going to file it in short-term? Are you going to file it in long-term? And so the ability to have like multiple tabs open so that like the one I have open right now is like, I'm talking to Zoe, but I also have like my calendar one is filed back there. I'm, I'm working through some dog training and that one's up right here. And there's a journal article I need to read and that one's up right here. And so even though I can put my full attention on you, when I'm done talking to you, I can look up and go, oh yeah, there's these like three other things I needed to do. When your executive functioning is compromised, your working memory gets really incapacitated to where you can only have one browser tab open at a time. 
So if I'm doing my dog training and I go, oh, it's time to go talk to Zoe. If I open your tab, the dog training tab disappears. And so that's really stressful when you know that because you get in that place of if I don't do it now, it won't get done. If I don't do it and you end up pinballing around your house all day. That's what I do. That is me. And so I mentioned executive functioning in the terms of ADHD earlier, but executive functioning can be compromised for a lot of reasons. And some of those reasons have nothing to do with having a disorder. Sleep deprivation compromises your executive functioning. Chronic stress, interruptions and cortisol spikes, physical pain, emotional stress. There's so many things. And I think that a lot of us find ourselves in motherhood going like, when did I become so stupid? And then we go baby brain, which isn't even a real thing. Baby brain isn't actually a real thing, but we blame it on that. And I think you're right. It's just the mental load being so overwhelming. So in that, I had to realize like I'm pinballing around my house. I am running around my house like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm constantly a servant to my house. I'm on my house's schedule. And I realized like, okay, this is ridiculous. I do not exist to serve this house. This house exists to serve me. So I need to put the house on my schedule. So I need to figure out how often can I do things, like create these rituals. And like the thing that I sort of brought up is like, I had always been taught growing up, like you change your sheets once every two weeks. Now that's like an impossible schedule for me to keep up with. So I have to tell you that until I was like 35, I changed my sheets once every six months. Like it was just like a foregone task. I was not going to remember unless there was a stain on it because who's going to remember once every two weeks. That's a weird time frame to me. But I did realize that when I was early on in my motherhood journey, okay, if every Thursday I changed the sheets, I would start to remember that. Like Thursday, sheets. And that was the only like major task that I had besides those kind of like little grind tasks, like sheets. Sheets are Thursday. I'd wake up Thursday, it's sheets. Now, do my sheets need to be changed once a week? Nope, that's probably too often. But that's a schedule that works for me. Now it's on my schedule. I wake up in the morning and I know Thursdays are sheets day, right? I'm not stumbling upon sheets that have stains on me going, oh God, I'm on, I was on my way to do something, but now I got to put this on the list. And then there are other things where like I do, I call it like a room reset or a house reset on Sunday afternoons. Now, does my house get messy just once a week? No, it doesn't. If I wanted it to be tidy all the time, I would probably need to do a house reset at least three times a week but you know what? I'm not going to. I have too much to do. That's too much. I'm not going to do it. So should it probably be done more often than once a week? Yeah. But you know what? Once a week is what works for my brain. That's what works for my schedule. So like I do some things more often than they need to be done. I do some things probably less often than they need to be done, but I put the house on my schedule so that every day it was like on Mondays, I wash the clothes. On Tuesdays, I clean maybe something in the kitchen and not the whole kitchen, just like something in the kitchen. You know, on Wednesdays, maybe I clean something in my bathroom. On Thursdays, I do the sheets. On Fridays, I do the, you know, I order the groceries. Saturdays, you know, I maybe do something else. I don't know. And then Sundays was like the house reset. And then I would add to the house reset, like a specific list of like, that's when I check book bags that's when I look at the schedule for the week, right? So I'm not waking up every morning and going, oh God, is swimming today? And so putting those patterns and rituals together are really helpful to me. You've just made me realize something, which is that I naturally did this with two, only two things. Now I'm going to do it with everything. And they're the only two things that don't stress me out as much. And one is watering the plants 
because they always die and they're so expensive. <laughs> so now on Friday, it's plant watering day. And you know, I was saying to you about the washing and the laundry and the folding. That has been the thing that's just overwhelmed me. So I started to think when the girls are in the bath every night, because we do that every night religiously, that's when I get the load and I sit and I chat to them in the bath, in the bathroom, on the floor, and I fold. And that, it's not actually working right now because it's all the wheels have come off. But that for a while was keeping that cycle and system going. And I've just realized why, because of what you said, it's making it a rhythm. Yeah. And what you said was so important because you're like, I had this system, the system worked and then the wheels came off. And that's the thing is like, as soon as you get a system where you're like, great, everything's on a system. Well, I mean, like, that's the thing about kids. Like they change quickly. So like, then you have like a shift in your season of life. Some seasons are short, some are long. So like I had a system for the longest time where like my husband would come home and do bedtime. And then I would do what I call closing duties was like this little list of things. And that was like our little, then we moved and we're farther away and the commute is longer and he might get there for bedtime, but he'll come in right before. And then like, you know, it went from a toddler that needed a long time to go down and a baby, you could just sit down and walk out of the room. So like I would do the baby and walk out of the room and do the closing duties and he'd do the toddler. But then they grew up. Now they're both toddlers. Now it takes two parents at the same time to put them both to bed. And then it changes and all of a sudden, oh, now they want to sleep in the same room. So now one parent can do it again. So you're constantly having to reassess and change. Things work for a little bit and then they don't anymore. Sometimes because you realize, actually, that's not the schedule for me. And then sometimes it's like something changes. And the important thing is like you're not failing if a system doesn't stick. It's so true. Like sometimes I have these conversations and I just think about what people are out there doing. You know, like you said earlier with the two kids in the lockdown, I had the same thing, exactly same thing. And I was like, how is everyone doing this? And I'm so privileged. Like I'm able-bodied. Like I'm not also battling racism. I'm not living in poverty. Like it just blows my mind how much we have to hold and do. It really does. And I find that when it comes to that perfectionism streak, one of the like kind of sayings that set me free was like realizing that I signed up to make sure that my family always had clean clothes. I didn't sign up to make sure that they never had dirty ones. Same with dishes, right? Like I signed up to make sure my family was always eating off of clean dishes. I did not sign up to say that there were never any dirty ones. And so this idea of like, is it done? Are you on top of it? Like, I think we sometimes have to challenge what we mean by those things because on top of it doesn't mean there are no dirty dishes and there's no dirty laundry and there's no clutter anywhere. The goal isn't for it to look like no one lives there. The goal isn't for you to get like, all these things are cycles. Like your dishes don't exist in the static states of done and not done. You have dishes that are in the sink and then you have some in the washer and then you have some in the pantry and then you have some on the bedside table and then you have some, like those are all different phases of the cycle of dishes and they're all morally neutral. Like it's okay for dishes to be at any point in that cycle. The key is to figure out how to turn the cycle at a pace that doesn't drive you nuts. Like it's not so fast that you're just doing nothing but dishes, but it's not so slow that you're not producing enough clean dishes to keep up with what you need. And there's this like myth that we're supposed to turn all of the cycles in our home to the done cycle and just hold it there. Yeah. You hear mothers talking about this. I've heard friends who've been like, I'm like, how are you, babe? oh my gosh, the best day ever. I got to the bottom of the laundry basket. 
And I'm like, really? Like, A, I've never seen the bottom of my laundry basket. Now I feel bad. And also, when the kids come home and get changed, it's going to not be the bottom again. It's like you can't win at the job of taking care of your home, like you say, because it's all a cycle, right? You can't win at it. You can never complete it. And if you're having trouble getting it even to functional, like there's a big part of this conversation that's like, man, just functional is good enough. But then there are people that are like, well, I can't even get to functional, Casey. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I really encourage people to throw the rule book out the window, cut out any steps that don't work for you. Think of your home as something that needs to be accessible to you. Think of yourself as deserving of accommodations. There's this, like, I don't fold my clothes anymore. I just put them away unfolded because that was like the step that was sticking for me. Like I was not putting it away because I couldn't get it folded. I think that's so true for so many people. I can get the washing in. I can get it on the line or in the tumble. I can get it out. If I think about at the moment, it's just baskets and baskets of unfolded laundry because it takes so much time. And for some people that works, like they don't mind living out of a laundry basket. And if you don't mind, you don't have to fix it. But if it's stressful, if it's, I don't know where anything is in the morning, like wouldn't your life be better if you knew where everything was? What if you just put it away unfolded and you're going, well, then it'd be wrinkled. Okay. But it's already wrinkled. If you're not getting it out of the bin, it's wrinkled. So might as well put it organized away. The other thing I did that was really life-changing was realizing like when I had a baby and a toddler, I was like putting their clothes away in their closets And I was like, I'm going to three different closets to dress three different people. And I'm the one dressing them all. What am I doing? And so I ended up making a family closet. And I have one to this day. My kids live upstairs. There's nothing in their closets. They're three and five. All of their clothes are in our big ensuite closet. So like we have two closets. One is big and one's kind of smaller. And so in the big one, my clothes and both of my kids' clothes. So now we can all go in there together. And even though, you know, the five-year-old can dress herself, like she still needs help sometimes. So it's like, okay, we all go in there together. Everybody picks out their clothes. Everyone starts getting dressed. I can help the little one. And the beauty of that is like all the clothes that come off their bodies are in one place now. And I don't even have to go upstairs to get clothes because it's all right there. And that makes picking up the washing easier. It makes the dressing easier. It makes putting things away easier. And I even have like a rolly stool that I sit on so that when I'm putting things away, I don't have to get up and down and up and down and move side to side. I can just like roll back and forth on the drawers. (laughs) I've got an image of you throwing these clothes on your rolly stool. Oh, it's exactly what it looks like. I have that. I have a grabber. Like it looks like people on the side of the road pick up trash with. That will change your life. I don't have to bend over to pick up toys anymore. I can do it standing. I can do it roll. If my back hurts, I can sit on my rolly stool and roll through the house and pick those things up. I upgraded all my trash cans. Like one of my big things for moms is like, there needs to be a trash can and a laundry basket in every room in your house. And my main trash can is a giant 35 gallon trash can on wheels. And I bought it for my garage because I thought, you know, this is like a good big garage and I'll throw things away out of my car when I get, then I brought it in the house one day and I was like, wait a second. This is amazing because the amount of times that like we were filling up our little kitchen trash. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's daily for us. Daily. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I don't want to run it out right now. So then you start piling the trash on the counter and then you like all of a sudden the trash is just out of control because it's just like wrappers and things like that. So I upgraded to this huge trash can and now it's amazing because I can throw a box away. I can throw every wrapper away. I can throw like 
I don't have to get to that stuck point of like, oh, it's full and I don't have time to run out right now. It's amazing. My laundry basket's on wheels, all of it. I just love this because it's that thing that you said, which is so good, which is my house is there to serve me. I am not there to serve my house. And I think, you know, God, if I think about the hours that I spend serving my house, instead of thinking, how could I change this system? We moved into a new house a couple of years ago and we talked about putting the washer and dryer in the kitchen, right? Which is where most people in the UK have it. I think it's different in the US. I was like, here's an idea. All our clothes are upstairs. Why don't we put the washer and the dryer upstairs? And I can't tell you. I mean, I should probably do the maths and work out how much time I've saved not running up and down the stairs with laundry baskets. Yep. My last house actually had them in the closet. They had a laundry room that was connected to the ensuite closet. And that was amazing. It's really amazing what you begin to change to get outside of the box when you give yourself permission to customize the way you do care tasks. And I will say this, like, you know, your question about like, if you could give all the moms a gift, if I could give every postpartum mother something, it would be paper plates. And from now on, every time I visit a postpartum mother, I'm bringing over a giant thing of paper plates because Most people feel very guilty using paper plates because they feel like they're not being environmentally. But my theory is like, but if they're already there, if somebody already bought them for you, they're already there, might as well use them. And truly, like if there's one thing I could have done for myself postpartum that I didn't do, it would have been to use paper plates. I've never used paper plates, but I think the time that that would have saved. Yeah. I mean, there's just literally too much to do. Yeah, there's too much to do when you're when you're postpartum. And I wanted to ask you about, you touched on it earlier about people under-functioning. And I think one of the reasons I think your work has been so incredibly received is because you spoke to something that I think was so invisible for such a long time, is that if you are struggling with chronic pain or depression or anxiety or ADHD or just postpartum, and it's just too much, there's such a shame, isn't there, to you know, I find it so hard to shower. I remember when mine were little, thinking about how am I going to get in the shower today would feel like a monumental task. Like, what am I going to do? I remember this being like, what do people do with the baby when they have a shower? So I'm obviously, I figured out I can put the bouncer in the shower, but then the shower's on and I'm hearing all these phantom cries and I'm looking at her and she's not crying. And the whole thing is just... It's a lot. How do you help someone who's really underfunctioning and struggling to brush their teeth, have a shower, get dressed, get their kids dressed? Well, I have to tell you before I answer that, it reminds me of one time when my baby was a newborn and like really even kind of too small to go in like a bouncer. I was like, I have to, what do I do? I have to shower. And I had a tub that was right next to the shower and I ended up swaddling her and laying her in the tub. Because I was like, I can see her. She's on her back. It's a safe sleep position. Like, and I just like showered while she was laying in the bottom of the tub. So what I always say is we first have to assess what the barrier is and be really curious and non-judgmental about that barrier. For example, 
let's say that you're having trouble brushing your teeth, which is like a famous thing that people have trouble with, whether they're postpartum, mental health. Every TikTok I make about brushing teeth blows up because it's like everybody's secret shame. You know, if you're having trouble brushing your teeth, usually what happens is like we feel like that's a moral issue and we should be embarrassed and ashamed and shut down. So we don't think about it. We don't get curious about it. We don't talk about it. And we just continue to not brush our teeth and to feel bad about it. But if we were allow ourselves to think about what is the barrier to it? Like, what is it that kind of makes me feel frozen or makes me feel like I don't want to do it? And you'll get lots of different answers. So sometimes people will say, you know, I've never really realized this, but I don't like, it's like a sensory issue. The mint toothpaste kind of burns in my mouth or the Brussels kind of hurt my gums. Sometimes you'll hear that it's like a routine issue where it's like, well, you know, I used to like go to my vanity every morning to get ready for work and there was my toothbrush and I would just do it. And now I have a baby and I'm woken up by the screaming baby and I'm rushing. I don't, I'm not going to my bathroom before I go anywhere else in the house. And then I just forget about it. Sometimes you have people saying, well, I forget. And then I think about it. And then I think, okay, I'll do it in a minute. And then I forget. And then I think I'll do it in a minute and I'll forget. And then you have people that say, well, it's just really boring. It's really boring and it's really hard to make myself do it. Some people say, well, I'm depressed. I can't get out of bed. So the idea of going to the bathroom is just overwhelming in and of itself. So depending on what the barrier is, like kind of legitimizing that for yourself and then asking yourself, how can we create some accommodation around that? Like, can we go around it instead of just like, what do you mean? You don't like the taste of mint? Suck it up. Well, okay. What if there's like really simple answers to some of these? You could switch to a toothpaste that doesn't have mint in it. You could use a children's toothpaste. You could use a strawberry toothpaste. You could brush your teeth without toothpaste. You could do that. It would still remove so much of the debris. Like you would still have so much better dental health if you brushed without using toothpaste than if you didn't brush at all. If you brushed for 30 seconds, that's better than not brushing at all. Embracing some of those things. And then if it's, okay, the bristles. Okay, you can get a soft bristle toothbrush. You can put a toothbrush and toothpaste at your kitchen sink. Because as a mom, that's where you find yourself. And that's when you're going to have a few seconds to brush your teeth. You can put some in your purse. If you don't realize it until you walk out the door, oh God, someone's going to put it in your car, put it in your purse. If you are feeling like it's just so many steps and I'm feeling really depressed and I'm really overwhelmed, you can buy single use pre-pasted toothbrushes, like the kind that you get at the dentist. You can buy them in giant packs off of Amazon and you can have a handful in your purse and a handful in your bag and a handful by your back door and a handful by your bed. And you don't even need water. You literally, it's one step. You take it out, you start brushing your teeth, you throw it away. So there are ways if you're going through a season where you're finding these things hard to access that you can go around that. You can get one of those toothbrushes that connects to the app where you earn coins when you brush your teeth. You can get the kind that vibrate when it's time to change corners of the mouth so that it's a little more stimulating to you. I mean, like there's so many things that you can do if we just allow ourselves to get curious in a non-judgmental way about what the barrier is. And that's the key, isn't it, is the non-judgment. Because the moment we judge ourselves, we can trigger the flight, flies, freeze response, right? And so then it's like, oh, I just can't. I can't go there. So I love what you're saying. And I think that applies to anything that we've spoken about, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, what's the function? Like the function of getting in a shower isn't to stand under running water. The function is to get clean. And so there are other ways to get clean that don't involve getting into the shower. Absolutely. But I think when you take that self-criticism of like, why can't I find this easy to how could I find this easier? That's like the magic switch, isn't it? 
Oh my gosh, I've loved this conversation so much. I'm taking paper plates. I'm going to go back to my system of folding laundry when the girl's in the bath, because that could still work. The timings of that will, will still work. And what I'm really taking is that the state of our homes does not reflect how good enough we are as mothers. Thank you so much. Well, I've, you've already answered the last question. Do you want to answer it again, which is what's the one gift you'd give to all mothers in the world and why? Money. Because in the world we live in, so much of the support, I mean, it's great if you have the organic support, right? Like you live near family and you have a really supportive partner and whatever, but a lot of us don't have that kind of organic support. And I think what kind of gets lost in these conversations is that if you have money, you can buy that support. And if you don't, it remains very difficult to access support. Even things like getting mental health care, buying medications, getting therapy, all of those things. I got a message a couple of days ago that was really heartbreaking from a woman who emailed me and said, I love your podcast. I am postpartum. I am deeply struggling with postpartum depression, so much so that both my therapist and my doctor have recommended that I go to inpatient but I can't. I cannot afford to miss the paycheck. It will put my family in such a deep financial hole that it will make things worse for me. And my heart just broke because like, that's the reality of a lot of mothers in the world. We talk all day about take care of yourself, take care of yourself, take care of yourself without appreciating the nuances of the like, societal and systemic and environmental barriers. Absolutely. I think a lot of mothers are screaming back, I want to. I want to. I can't. So true. It's so true. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And tell us where people can find you. You mentioned TikTok. I know you're also on Instagram. And tell us about your book. So my book is called How to Keep House While Drowning by Casey Davis. Which is the best title ever, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. How did you come up with that? Oh my gosh. Well, my website's called Struggle Care. And I was like, oh, I'll just name the book Struggle Care. And one of my friends was like, no, you're too creative. Think of something else. It was hard because like I really wanted a title that spoke to all the different kinds of struggle. And I was literally in Target in the light bulb aisle. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I've got it. <laughs> so that's where I got it. But no, I do have a website called Struggle Care. From there, you can see how to get to my TikTok, which is at Domestic Blisters my Instagram, which is Struggle Care, my podcast, which is Struggle Care. You can link to my shop and see some different resources and printouts and things that I have and and products. There's some free resources on there. And I think that's pretty much it. Sounds enough. You're doing enough for us all. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.